Wonderful. I'm going to invite Daryl and Maureen. They're going to come and share the reading that we're going to be looking at this morning together from John chapter 1, if you'd like to turn to it. Okay, yeah, John 1. You can come up with me, dear. <laughs> Leave me all by myself. Oh, see, I need prompting for this. <laughs> Silly masks. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Thanks. Maureen, thank you. Daryl, that's just an incredible uh, piece of scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning. For some of you, it might be very familiar I don't only read it at Christmas, but certainly around Christmas I do make sure that I read that passage because every year something comes alive. It's just a great passage of Scripture to meditate on. So if you're not too sure over the next two or three weeks what to read in the Bible, then I recommend John chapter 1 and uh, just what follows uh, with that. Now, I don't know how good you are with uh, Christmas songs as you wander around the shops and you recognize all the different songs. Now, I can't remember where it was, but um, many years ago, even when I was young, Wizard had a song, didn't they? And uh, I wish it could be Christmas every day. Now, I don't know whether you wished it could be Christmas every day. Now, some of you are shaking heads, <laughs> but it depends what they got in mind, uh, haven't they? But it's the day that we really do uh, build up to. Now, it's obviously significant for those of us who are followers of, the G- of Jesus Christ. And Maybe in your house, in your upbringing, you had little traditions that you followed year by year. And uh, I, I, when I think back to when I was a child, think of some of the things that um, uh, we did. Um, we didn't get up till 8 o'clock in the morning to open our presents because my dad 
Do you want to get up until 8 o'clock? Now, I, I, I tend to like to follow that tradition as a dad, not to get up till 8 o'clock. And um, now our kids do kind of wake up early, and Wendy occasionally does say to the kids, there's no point waking up too early because you know what your dad's like. Because <laughs> Wendy and I are slightly different. Um, so Wendy is a morning person, and I'm neither a morning or an evening person. <laughs> But Wendy likes to get up quite early. So, so when we, we got married, Wendy and ourselves, um, as far as it's celebrating Christmas, two cultures came together, even though we'd only lived a mile apart. But it was like two cultures coming together. Now, those of you married, that might not be an issue for you. And, and these things we've, we've worked through, had counselling, and... Um, <laughs> Many things have helped us to celebrate Christmas in the right way. So when I was young, at the end of our bed, we used to have a a stocking, not very big. We'd have an orange in it. Maybe a walnut. (laughs) Now when we got married, at the bottom of Wendy's bed, she wanted... A sleeping bag. No, 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 not a sleeping bag. A pillowcase, <laughs> a presents in, and uh, a lot of presents. So that was really good. That was really good. Um, now, when I was younger, we used to kind of open our presents. So the presents, there's four of us as children, and my mum and dad. So one of us would have a chair with some presents on, and another would have some presents. And my sister Belinda, who we think was spoiled, she had the settee. She had, uh, you know, she had all that. And she says that she didn't. But when we got married, Wendy liked the um, presents under the tree to be dished out. Nothing wrong with that. Really? It's okay. No, it's very good. Works quite well. And, and Wendy, you, you prefer a real Christmas tree, don't you, Wendy? Yeah. Um, I don't mind as long as I don't have to put it up. So... Um. <laughs> I'm not great with Christmas tree. I am, I am joking a little bit. But it's interesting how we kind of... Different traditions come together to celebrate uh, Christmas. Once we, a couple of times we've been to India over Christmas period, and the first time there was kind of no kind of awareness of Christmas really in Bangalore where we went until we went into the hotels, and then it was all Christmas decorations. But three years ago when we went in 2018, it's amazing as we went down the main street, Mahatma Gandhi Road in Bangalore, the churches, the decorations outside were extraordinary. Each church, it was like Black Bull Illuminations. They really it made it look really fantastic for building up to Christmas. Now, the gospel writers, four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, also had a little bit of approach when they kind of write about Christmas and Jesus coming. And John, um, we've just been reading down and Maureen read so well, um, Kind of, you'd think, he's a bit of a killjoy when it comes to the nativity, because nativity simply means birth. But he doesn't actually talk about the details of Jesus' birth, like Matthew and Luke do. So in Matthew, not only does he kind of talk about Jesus' birth, but he also goes into Jesus' ancestry, 17 verses leading up to the birth of Jesus. And when you get to Luke, Luke kind of starts with Elizabeth, then to Mary and all the detail, and into birth of Jesus. It's a great reader. And the Gospels kind of bring a great balance to this. But John goes straight in to who Jesus 
is. And I suppose if you asked me about uh, our children, David and Amy, I wouldn't necessarily start with their birth, um, even though their birth was absolutely spectacular and great stories within themselves. But, but John wanted to, to get into straight away, this is the heavenly Christ who is coming into the world. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So what he wanted to say is that Jesus arrives so understated, but who he is cannot be overstated. And you need to take hold of this. The creator of the world becomes part of his creation. The invisible becomes visible. And for John, this was uh, Christmas. Truth so wonderful. Now, J. John, a national evangelist in our country, great speaker, he says this great quote. He says, we observe that Advent is about the infant Jesus and we so often stop there. But we need to go beyond noting facts to consider significance, what this child is going to be. And in the case of Jesus, the answer is someone and something far greater, far more wonderful than we can ever imagine. And John in his gospel wants people to have an understanding and imagine who this is. Now, some people have said the first five verses of John's gospel should be written in gold. Written in such a way that they an embossed to stand out. Now, all scripture is wonderful. We know that. But these verses are fantastic. So, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Talking about Jesus. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And it's just mind-blowing, isn't it? And A.W. Tozer, great author, Christian author, says this, Among the wonders, many wonders of Holy Scripture is their ability frequently to compress into a sentence truth so vast, so complex, as to require a whole shelf of books to expound upon them. And you've got to say that, even from John 1, verse 1, that uh, shelves in any... (laughs) Library would be full of explanations trying to explain the wonder of just these one or two or three or four verses. So when he talks about the word coming into the world, of course it's a capital W, talking about Jesus. And for us, you know, just the, the, the kind of the word, word doesn't necessarily sound a lot to us. Okay, it's a word, it's another, it's another word. But to people back then it would have meant a little bit more. So for the Greeks, for example, um, they had a word for the word called logos, logos. And um, many of you will be familiar with an organization called Operation Mobilization. Uh, their offices are in Hales Owen. And they had a ship called the logos, or logos, and it means the word. And they would uh, travel all over the world giving out Christian literature to places where normally Bibles wouldn't be able to be given out. But the Greeks understood that the word, capital W, was talking about a creative force, all wisdom, all knowledge, divine wisdom. So they understood there was something more to this. But the Jews would have understand the meaning even more than the Greeks because they knew that God always revealed himself through his word. There's something very powerful about that. They would understand, understand that right back in Genesis, um, God would say, let there be light. So through the spoken word, things 
happened. And those that were Jews who became Christians you know, would appreciate when, even when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he just speaks a word, doesn't he, uh, to come, about, come out of the, the grave, that God's word is so powerful. And Hebrews chapter 1, the very first verse in Hebrews says this, similar to John. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, but in these days, God has spoken to us by his Son. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. It's just amazing that you see John 1, 1, Hebrews 1, uh, verse 1. So John, uh, in many respects, is just cutting to the chase here. This is God amongst us. Because Jesus speaks and things happen. Like when God spoke back in the beginning, things happen. And there's just so many things to try and get your head around that are just so wonderful and marvelous. That, that Christ pre-existed. He was there before creation. He was with God in the beginning. So that's what John is saying. Jesus was already there. He wasn't just saying Jesus was there at the beginning of creation. He's saying Jesus has always been there. Uh, Christ coexisted with God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, in John's Gospel as well, as you read on, it's been noted several times that John records Jesus's, in John's view, biggest miracles. He's kind of tuned them down to seven uh, for a particular reason that he includes within his Gospel. Uh, Now, about a year ago, Gordon Neal, one of our regional directors, came and spoke on the seven miracles of Jesus. Fantastic. Begins with the wedding at Cana, finishes with um, Lazarus. And he just talks about that. But John goes on to say this towards the end of the gospel. He says, Jesus performed many other miracles and signs that were not recorded in this book. So he only recorded seven. But these are written, the ones he's included, that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So John includes all these things so people will pick up, not the the nice story of the nativity, which is wonderful, but the people will understand something of who Jesus truly is. And if you read right at the end of John's Gospel, he says something like, doesn't he say, well, and Jesus did many other things. And if I started to write them down, or people started to write them down, all the libraries in the world could not contain them, what Jesus did over that three-year period. But John includes... Seven miracles to prove that Jesus is who he says he is. John also picks up in his gospel, very wonderfully, seven of Jesus' most significant sayings that means that Jesus is trying to describe who he really is. And they're the seven I am sayings. Seven times Jesus says, I am. Now, why is this significant and wonderful? Well, if you go back to Exodus chapter 3, stick with me at the moment. God tells Moses, doesn't he, to go and confront Pharaoh, saying, you need to let my people go after 400 years of slavery. Moses is a little bit nervous. Pharaoh, the most powerful human in the world. But Moses, (laughs) being given a task by God to go and tell uh, Pharaoh what to do. So Moses trying to hedge his bets. Well, who am I going to say has sent me? Thinking that God was going to give this incredible name. And, and God just says to Moses, tell Pharaoh 
I am has sent you. I am who I am. Tell Pharaoh that I am has sent you. So this is incredibly significant in how Jesus reveals himself. And seven times he says, as recorded in John's Gospel, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And John is saying, guys, have no misunderstanding here of who, this, who Jesus is. He is. He is God. I am is here amongst us. Emmanuel, God with us. And it's wonderful as you read on in John's Gospel, uh, chapter 8. He has this great altercation with the Pharisees, which he sometimes did. And uh, I just love those different discussions, let's call them discussions, that he has with them. And he talks about, he talks about, it's a whole section, it's great to read uh, John chapter 8, but it's a whole section where Jesus talks about knowing Abraham. Now the religious leaders can't cope with this. How, how can you... How can you say you're no, you, you know Abraham? They said, you're not even 50 yet. I mean, they could have been kinder and said 40, couldn't they? But they said, you're not even 50 yet. How can you know Abraham? Because he was kind of, how many hundred years before? How can you say you know Abraham? And Jesus said, and this re- really wound them up, really wound them up. He says, before Abraham, I am. And that was the point they wanted to pick up stones and throw them at them. But Jesus was clearly, you know, guys, let's cut to this chase with this, this argument. I am who I am. The same as what God said back in uh, Exodus. Wonderful. So Jesus pre-existed, co-existed, self-existed. He, be- he becomes part of his creation. The creator becomes part of his creation, which is extraordinary. And I like the uh, song today, uh, yesterday, today, and forever, Vicky Beeching. And she has just a couple of words within it, and it says, Uncreated One becomes part of his creation. Truth so vast, so wonderful. Now, when you're at school, I wonder whether you ever took part in this kind of exercise, often in a science class, where the teacher tries to describe how much you're worth as far as the chemical elements of your body if they kind of were purchased at a, uh, where would you purchase them? I don't know. Um, <laughs> trying to think where you would purchase them. But anyway, um, how much you would be worth according to the chemical elements within your body? And I was growing up, they, they Try to just say that as a human being, you know, the materials that make up your body, you're probably only worth about 20, 30 pounds. Well, there's better news here. There's better news here. Because back in 2014, the Cambridge Royal Society of Chemistry at their festival, some very special people tried to work it out, and you are worth a lot more. The chemicals in your body are worth a lot more, according to them. So we're mainly made up of oxygen and hydrogen. I don't know if you knew that at school. Um, but they reckon you've also got 30 pounds in weight of carbon in you that a few years ago would be worth 44,300 pounds. 
I know, I know. Depending on your size, of course. Some more, some less. Also, there's potassium and phosphorus, and they reckon that the potassium and phosphorus within you is worth something like £47,000. Depending on how big, how small you are. So putting the other elements together, they reckon that a person, an average person, is worth £96,546.79. And if you add labour and VAT, you would be worth approximately £200,000, or we take that to construct a human being. But of course, no one has that ability. Now, I've been reading a book uh, by Bill Bryson. I don't know if you've read any of his books. I love Bill Bryson. He's not a man of faith by any means, and he is honest about that. But he's written a book called The Body that I'm reading again. And I'm just going to quote something from it. Now, preachers should never pick up a book and quote from them. So if you preach it, never do this. But I'm going to do it now. And he says this, talking about these materials, these chemical elements. He says, but of course, it hardly really matters. No matter what you pay or how carefully you assemble the materials, you are not going to create a human being. You could call together all the brainiest people who are alive now or have ever lived and endow them with the complete sum of human human knowledge and they could not between them make a single living cell, never mind a replicant human being. Then goes on to say, that is unquestionably the most astounding thing about us that in many respects we're just a collection of inert components, the same stuff that you would find in a pile of dirt And I've said it before in another book, but I believe it's worth repeating. The only thing special about us, uh, about the elements that make up you and me, is that they make you and me, and that is the miracle of life. And he goes on to say, uh, over the page, he says this, Yet somehow, when all these things are brought together, you have life. And that is the part that eludes science and a kind of hope that it always will. Science will never understand the fullness of what brings life. And the Bible says, doesn't it, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And John talks about how Jesus was there in the beginning, and without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made, and in him is life. So that's why we have life. And the wonderful thing about being a Christian, isn't it, that not only being physical life, that Jesus breathes life spiritually, into us so we can be alive we can exist but he breathes his life into us and i'm sure that many people here can remember that moment when he breathed life into you and he just loves to do that and he still does that as people you know we look at them and they walk around and i I say lord i time and time again even as i walk in around this area birmingham quite a big city isn't it and i ask the lord to remind me all the time Remind me that you can breathe life into these people. Thank you, Lord, that you can bring life into these people. You can bring a whole new dimension to living if they open up their hearts, their minds 
to you. And it's a wonderful privilege we have um, to bring that message to folks. Now, just moving on to the, the last little bit. Over the years, Christians at times have been a little bit touchy as to how Christmas is spelt. Some people really don't like it if there's an X, M, A, S. Now, I'm not going to ask you a question, but I know that people have gone into shops when that started to appear and to challenge people. Now, there might not be as big a conspiracy as we think, because in the original Greek for Christ, it was X. They did write X. Now, that's letting the shops off a little bit, but it was an X. They wrote Christ with uh, an X. But one thing is for sure, if you read John's Gospel, he wanted to put the cross into Christmas. He very much wanted to put the cross into Christmas. He wanted to, for people to be quite clear that that is what, why Jesus came, and that is where he was uh, heading. And in even verse 28 of the first chapter, he says, Look, quoting John the Baptist, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he wanted people to understand who Jesus was and where Jesus was heading. And the last nine chapters of John's Gospel is all about the cross. And J. John, who I quoted uh, a moment ago, he says this, If our biggest problem was information, God would have sent an educator. If our biggest problem was money, God would have sent an accountant. If our biggest problem was pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness so God sent a saviour. God knew exactly who we, we needed. And in Matthew 1, uh, as the angel, angel goes to Joseph, uh, says, doesn't he, talking about Mary, she'll bear a son, and you shall give, call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And I think it's very interesting, isn't it, that very often in the Old Testament, God did not want to, want to give himself a name. He didn't want to be named but he names his son. He names his son. And we quote him, don't we, that you'll be the name above all names. And he gives him the name Jesus, and Jesus means God saves. It's amazing, isn't it? This name that is above every other name that God wants to know his son by means God saves. And that was the agenda. And John was one of the first people to follow Christ, James and his brother John, uh, James and, and John. And uh, John, as you read on, he encounters Jesus, truly changes his life. And he talks in, in John chapter 1, talks about Jesus coming from the Father, doesn't he? Full of grace and truth. And this definitely impacts John because he keeps repeating it. Full of grace and truth. He keeps repeating this to people and full of grace God's undeserved love and John mentions love 80 times in his gospel 80 times he mentions love 20 times he refers himself to being the disciple that Jesus loves which is amazing isn't it now he knew that God loved Jesus loved other people but his his experience was so (laughs) big that he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loves And this is extraordinary because James and his brother John were called the the sons of thunder. They were very angry young men. They wanted to call down judgment on everybody. But here's John writing his gospel and talking 80 times about Jesus. 
coming full of grace. And in 1 John, he goes on to say this, which is wonderful. He says, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother is a liar. So, so Jesus transforms his life through grace. He talks about Jesus coming full of truth. And Timothy Keller says this, human culture is an extremely complex mixture of brilliant truth, marred half-truths, and those things that are overly resistant to the truth. And John is saying, here is Jesus full of grace and truth. Truth so vast and wonderful that can be contained within the human heart. And he says in verse 4, the light shines in the darkness, the truth, and the darkness has not overcome it. So finally, last short point. John is saying, I want you to understand who this really is who has come into the world. And a hundred times he talks about the importance of believing in Jesus. You need to believe in him. You need to take a step in believing in him. He's saying there's a difference to believing about Jesus and believing in Jesus, full of grace, of truth. And as I said, he says this, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you will have life in his name. So there's a big difference between believing about Jesus and believing in Jesus. It's the difference between life and death. It's as, as big as that. And that's what John wants us to know. The author of life opens up a whole new dimension, dimension of life leading to eternal life who brings light, life, and love in abundance. This, for John, is what was meant to celebrate Christmas every day, the life of God.